Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. On today's episode, Brian and I just shoot the breeze for a little bit, talk about him teaching Sunday school. We do a little March Madness recap. We talk about the World Baseball Classic a little bit. Uh, we don't really have any news or update on Trump getting arrested. There's a Gordon Monson article. He's a columnist, a sports columnist primarily in Salt Lake that criticizes the church. He's a member of the church, but he really goes after the church, and it seems weird. We talk about that for a little bit. Um, and then we also, of course, get into people we cannot be friends with. What we didn't talk about was that BYU actually got a new president, which is pretty big news that uh, President Worthen is is uh, no more serving as president of Brigham Young University. <laughs> Um, and their new one is an old stats professor, but we didn't really have that info at the time. Not a whole lot to say on that either, but anyway, we didn't cover that, uh, but we do get to an amazing guest, Jamie Avila, who is a financial planner, um, kind of a wealth expert, so to speak. He, I don't know, he might scoff at that, the title that I'm giving him, but he was he was very well-versed in all this, and he gives comes on to give his thoughts on the Silicon Valley collapse, as well as the church finances. And we go over that for a large part of his uh, interview. But then it gets amazing and really related to the gospel because Jamie is also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he gives his own conversion story, which is incredible. It's um, no joke. It's it's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done on this podcast. Jamie was an awesome guest. And he details his whole journey coming to the church and what where he is at today with his family and everything and it's just a beautiful story and i think you all will love it appreciate you all for coming back to the pod we'll go ahead and catch you on the other side before we get to the rest of the podcast i'd like to talk to you quickly about odyssey snacks odyssey snacks provide some of my favorite protein bars in the world now they've got six different flavors mint chocolate brownie peanut butter chocolate chip dark chocolate almond vanilla blueberry mocha chocolate crisp and my personal favorite, banana chocolate chip peanut butter. You can get 10% off if you use my discount code, HARPY10. You can go to odysseysnacks.com. That's where you can enter in the promo code at checkout, or you can just type in odysseysnacks.com slash HARPY10, and that'll give you 10% off of your order. Anything you order, you can get for 10% off. Anyway, just want to share with you how much I love these. They've got a great prebiotic in them that kind of just helps you with the digestive tract, all that stuff. They're great with the macronutrients, a good amount of fat, carbs, and protein across the board. They're great for feeling satisfied. They're great for eating and then working out or working out and then eating. I'm a big fan of these bars. They don't get you bloated. That's the big, amazing part of this. Anyway, it's odysseysnacks.com slash harpy10, or you can enter in harpy, H-A-R-P-E-Y, one zero at checkout, and you'll get 10% off. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. The, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the, Mormons the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. We're back. What's up, dude? <laughs> What's up, dude? Not much, man. Um, starting off strong. Where are we at? And we're uh, just feeling good. March Madness. We're in the midst of it, dude. We're in the thick of March Madness. Are we glad oh, to yeah. be here? Always glad to be here, man. How's the Harper, weather in Vegas? Harper in the morning. Um, it's going. Uh, it's terrible. Let's be honest. It rained all day yesterday. It rained yesterday, and it's just. It's been. 
fiasco. So we're wind advisories and, and all that, and it's all coming to you. So yeah, we're getting some of that rain right now, actually. And um, I, uh, yeah, it's going to be rainy all week. Snow in the mountains. It's crazy how much snow we're getting up here. It's pretty cool. Like it's great. You know, we'll be there enjoying it in Powell over the summer. You know, all oh that, my gosh. So. Looking at that snow report, they had the 2019 one next to it. And we, I think we're at, I think we're like 20 feet away from, or 15 feet away from the uh, snowpack from 2019, which that was the most epic year ever. And that's when the cut was open and all that stuff over to Warm Creek. So it's going to be interesting to see how much it fills. Love it. Let's freaking do it. Awesome. Yeah, I feel I like we can get 15 feet this week, seems like. Yeah. That's kind of what yeah. I think people are already talking about that. But anyway, Utah Sunday School, man. Let's hear about that. Yeah, it was good. I uh, covered for my soon-to-be-released uh, Sunday School teacher. She got she got called to stake presidency release society. So we had to – and she was like, you want to find a sub? I was like, no. Nah. I was like, I'll teach it. It's all right. So, but yeah, we covered – you know, last week's uh, Come Follow Me night. I think it was cool the way I kind of did it because I did the way me and you kind of learn and deep dive into things, right? It's like one or two scripture and then pull in conference talks and like, you know, other quotes and, you know, ideas and just thoughts doing it that way. And uh, they they seemed all like it, which was which was cool. And, you know, it was just, it was nice because all week I was prepping for this, right? But I was able to do a deep dive and grab just some amazing, amazing talks. And I actually sent you one yeah. on uh, on the prayer. Yeah, and it was, you know, it's it's cool to go back and, you know, and I've, I've said this before, but any time between like 2008 and 2020, all of those talks I'm able to like read or to discover, not even rediscover, but discover because I, you know, not watching conference on a regular basis and all that stuff is just, you know, so it's nice. Um, I did pull one from 2000. Um, I think, uh, one of our Japanese 70 members, I can't remember his name. Um, but I remember his face in particular, like when I pulled up, uh, pulled it up on the app, I was like, man, I was like, I remember this guy. I was like, I love listening to him. And then I went back and read through and, um, he was quoting, you know, what president Hinckley has taught and all that stuff. And it was, yeah, so it was good, man. I, I, should be better at, you know, doing my deep dives and, you know, um, weekly, but it just seems like when you have to prepare for something, obviously you put in the work and it just, it just makes the week so much better, man. It's crazy. So it's the week better. I'd imagine your lesson was really smooth because when you go in with that type of prep, what's funny too, is that like we get, I I think we struggle with this. I, I, I keep, I hate that I say we, but I do feel like a lot of this is broadly applicable, so I don't really know for sure. But anyway, I know I've struggled with this before, at least, with teaching and with giving a talk in sacrament where you feel like everything you put down has to be said. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a tougher way to go about doing it, right? Because then then you have a harder time, you know, jamming stuff in there and going, not just going long, but also just kind of like being overwhelming. Whereas if you do a large prep, like you were doing all last week, you kind of go in, especially when you're teaching a lesson, you kind of just go in and just let the spirit guide, which a lot of people are like, well, yeah, but how do you do that? Like, I don't know if I feel the spirit constantly throughout and all that. It's like, honestly, a lot of times the spirit will just take the path of whatever the congregation is giving it. 
not necessarily the path of least resistance, but you just kind of let it flow and you, you just inject some thoughts and then your preparation is going to help supplement that so well because there will be people that will make comments that will be relevant to something you read. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, actually, it's just like what it says in Matthew 12 or that's like what it says in this talk that I read that was having to do with these scriptures that we're discussing right now. And like when you go in with that, like it's just going to make everything, it's just going to round it out nicely. Talks are a little bit different that way, but it's just, it's easier to go in with a deep prep and then just kind of like let it roll once you get up there. But anyway, that sounds a little bit. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And I, I even cross-referenced on, what was it? Matthew twelve forty-five. I cross-referenced it with Alma twenty-four thirty, And this was talking about, you know, knowing the gospel. Uh, I'll just read it. Alma twenty-four thirty is, and thus we can plainly discern that after a people, uh, have once been enlightened by the Spirit of God and have had great knowledge of things pertaining to righteousness and then have fallen away into sin and transgression, they become more hardened and thus their state becomes worse than though they had ever, worse than though they had never uh, known these things. Yeah. And my opinion on it was specifically, I think. Yeah. And my opinion on it was like, okay, so are we better off to have never known than to have known and then turned our backs to it? And the answer is yes, according to that scripture. Right. And that that's kind of where I was going. One of the questions that were brought up were like, uh, are you living in ignorance then if you're just ignoring this? I go, no. I go, you're just, I said, well, I think what they're talking about are the, you know, people that just have, have never heard of this, right? Now there's people that will know and then they'll just turn their backs to it, right? But they don't know the fullness of it, right? They they just know, oh, they're, they're crazy, da-da-da-da-da, right? But... One other comment was, that was made was it's almost like if you knew the knowledge and you burned all of these bridges, right, denying everything and then convincing yourself that none of that happened, that you weren't actually converted, you were, you were brainwashed or whatever it may be, that's the road coming back that is very hard to do. And I go, I love that. I was like, that's perfect because it is. It's like you're, you, if you know it, right, and you're moving in that direction, then everything can be good, right? But if you know it and then all of a sudden you burn all these bridges behind you and then you're trying to come back to reconvince yourself, it's, it makes it twice as hard. Yeah, there's a and lot that, of... And that's what I love that. Because so. you have to embrace your hypocrisy one way or the other, right? Like, right. Yeah, you can't, live the two, you can't live the two lives. It's like yeah. I'm going to pick. Yeah. So, but no, it was good. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed it. And I, you know, just like you said, I didn't get to share everything that I wanted to. Like I, I mean, we didn't even cover the Lord's prayer from 11, from Luke 11, one through four, uh, didn't cover 11, nine through 10, but I got to cover the Luke 11, 33 through 36, which is the, uh, light and candle and secret place bushel one. So yeah, but it was good. So thoroughly enjoyed it. I love, yeah. I love teaching, uh, in, in, I haven't done Sunday school in a long time, actually. I think I did that in Texas for a little bit, but it didn't even last that long. Mm-hmm. And then I also taught at BYU, I remember, for a little bit. But um, my favorite calling ever was Elder's Quorum in my last ward, though. I just like teaching. And um, you learn so much while you teach. That's that's the big part of it. But um, yeah, I I don't have a calling currently. I probably need one. I should probably go ask for one. But... uh 
I have a I have a weird relationship with my bishop brick right now, which means I don't have one. I don't have a relationship with my bishop brick right now. <laughs> I think they're overwhelmed. They've had like the ward split like recently as they got called in and the stake split and I think there's and our ward grows all the time. Anyway, my bishop still hasn't said a single word to me outside of the tithing settlement that we had that was a drive through. Asked if I was a full tithe payer, I said yes and that was that. Okay. Moving on. Anyway. Tap, tap, tap your taillights and right, get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you're good. Now leave. Oh, th- thanks. Appreciate it. Um, oh, it's so good. I did, I did talk with a member of the Elders Quorum Presidency yesterday, though, to give him an update on ministering, and that was a nice little thing. And I told him, I was like, maybe maybe pass along that I could probably use a calling. Anyway, whatever. There so we'll go. see. Um, but yeah, so it's good stuff, man. Hopefully, I get a calling soon. We'll see. Maybe I need. I, yeah. I'll, quite frankly, I need to humble myself more. That's what this all means. But, um, I love it. So, all right, should we get into a little bit more of the broad in, the the broad news? I don't really have a whole lot of personal yeah. news to share. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good there. So let's uh, let's get into it. March Madness, man. Which my I'm gonna give a little bit of a preview to my friend, people we can't be friends with. Still, still going strong. I will say it's kind of hard to come up with things, which I don't think you have anything for the second week in a row now. So it just goes to show how Christ-like you are, <laughs> and and I'm not. So, um, but there's a uh, stop no i i added to oh, everything that we had last week with sean yeah i was like oh, wait, no i 100 percent agree sure, with you all don't come of that. in you don't come in with these like i, I just have this no, i don't think I, I didn't apparently. have one did i yeah but we won't have it every week i just don't think there's any way we can keep it up but it is kind of a fun thing to do obviously but, anyway but i think it's more or less like if something happens to us throughout yeah. the week it's yeah. like oh no I, I i need to talk about this because i cannot be friends with that person yeah so screw that person exactly <laughs> So my my uh, mine is March Madness relevant, obviously, but my bracket's toast. My bracket freaking sucks. How's yours doing? I, I haven't actually looked. At uh, I, I think I'm at. Okay. I think I still have three out of four. Uh, that's, that's the kept key, me right? It. The key is to get the final yeah, four in. If, the final know, four. I lost yeah. all of my final four. Definitely by the second round. Maybe by the first. Honestly, uh, three. Did I say all uh, of them? I meant three because my my national champion winner is still in. But I lost three of my final four. What I'm I'm at forty six point nine percent on pick percentage. Um, I'm at. I'm but like Marquette last, screwed I'm me. I'm at thirty nine point five. Like, dude, my my Midwest to West right now Our is boat. actually pretty solid. I've got Houston, Texas. I I picked Houston, Texas, um, Kansas, and Gonzaga. Those were my elite eight teams, and I've got three out of four there. So I'm just rooting for Gonzaga to beat up on UCLA, and then both, doesn't really matter brackets, about Arkansas. Both our brackets yeah. suck, dude. You're only you're only ten points ahead of me, but you've got yeah, but way see, my more final, points my, dude, possible. Yeah, my final four is I picked Alabama, Duke, Texas, and Gonzaga. So mine were, mine were. Virginia lost in the first round. Memphis lost Woof. in the first round. Houston Woof. still in it. Kansas lost in the second round. <laughs> so <laughs> sitting pretty, my friend. Pretty. Uh, yeah, I've got yeah, Alabama, Texas for my, my final it, two. I will beat you if Houston wins the whole thing. 
But that's a big if. Not going to happen. That's like the only I think way Texas takes them out. I, I'm really hoping for that Houston-Texas matchup. It's going to be sick. Oh, that will be cool. So, we'll be in the Big 12 together this next season. But, see, I think I think you should drive down to Vegas for the weekend, and we go ahead and watch the West Final out here at T-Mobile Arena. Oh, yeah. we got Arkansas-UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA. Wow. SEC, okay, I'm going to support my boys in the SEC. I don't care if I'm not a Brazerback fan. I'm going to definitely hit them with the woo-pig suey. Woo! That's a hell of a lineup, man. <laughs> Dude, I will say, man, this really. Do you know what part of my like loves this time of year too, is General Conference happening with March Madness, which. Oh yeah. A little, a little bit of thing that kind of stinks though is that we have we have an evening session on Saturday. Sometimes we don't, right? These days, but we do this time, and it's I think it's church wide. So we got three sessions Saturday, not just priesthood. All it's right, like, well, I'll uh, I'll I'll be at WrestleMania, so. I'm gonna. I'm busy. Well, that's a bigger issue. We gotta talk about then. <laughs> Bring it on, dude. I mean, <laughs> You're give us an update through. on the World Baseball. <laughs> World Baseball Classic. WBC Trey Turner is that guy, and I'm so happy that the Phillies got him in the off season. He hits a 0-2 off speed. I believe it was a changeup. Yeah, break, breaking ball changeup. Whatever it is, off speed. Uh, 2 right over the middle, Grand Slam. They take the lead against, uh, um, uh, geez, uh, Cuba. Port- no, no, not Cuba. They blew out Cuba. Uh, yeah, I was Puerto Rico. Say Cuba shouldn't have a good team. Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. No, Venezuela. Jeez, sorry, I am, ah. I'm way off right now. Yeah, Venezuela. Uh, beat up on Venezuela, which was awesome to see. Uh, Mr. Presley from the Houston Astros came in and closed it out. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's so awesome, man. I, I was so happy to see it because, um, so Latin countries and Latin baseball players, they all show a lot of emotion, right? You, you watch the, um, Caribbean world series stuff. You watch any of the Dominican baseball winter league, you watch any of the Venezuelan winter leagues, like fans are going nuts. just, yeah, yeah, they're crowd specifically, but also the players, players show it a, a ample amount of, of emotion. And, and the Americans are always very subdued and, you know, we, we're not supposed to show emotion and, you know, we're not supposed to let the moment get the best of us. Right. But it's just, it's more, it's not, you're right though. It does not compare to baseball or basketball or football in terms of like level of excitement constant. Right. Constant, yeah, that is. and it's just it's just frustrating because in these big tournaments of you know my country versus your country, like yeah, you better believe I'm be showing some emotion, yeah. right? And you could even see like it kind of building, right? Because Venezuela started, they came back, right? They go up by two, and you know you could see the Americans were getting pissed the way they were going about their business, right? Because they, as the Americans, it's like no, nah, like screw you guys. Like we're, we're going to come back. We're going to win this ball game. JT ends up getting hit by a pitch and staring down the pitcher and being like, all right, dude, like you could see he was pissed, right? Eyeballing him walking down the first base. And then here comes Trey Turner, right? Oh, two. And I'm sitting there watching the game with my parents and my mom goes, it's fine. He's going to hit a home run. It's fine. He's going to hit a grand slam. And I go, I go, all right. Impression of your mom, dude. That's incredible. It's fine. He's gonna hit home it's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. No, it's yeah. fine. He, he's gonna. He's gonna do good. We we love Trey. Um, but yeah, dude, so pumped. We're, we're all 
jumping up on, you know, happy as can be. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. Awesome to see. And then they, then they ransacked, uh, Cuba and now they play the winner of, uh, Mexico and Japan. So, uh, we will see how that goes on, uh, on Tuesday. And obviously we are recording earlier in the week, but this is how we do it. This is how we do this it. This how we do it. Some people. So, if you want to pay say, us more money to do I'm this, gonna, we will go I'm gonna, make this our full-time I'm, jobs. I'm going to say that uh, Mexico beats Japan, okay, and USA returns the favor. They beat Mexico, and the final score is going to be 6-2. to two. All right. I, I dig it. Love it. There we go. Um, what do you got? You got nothing? No, 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 no predicaments. No, nothing. You want to take Japan over Mexico? <laughs> Predictions. One of them. Uh, I like that. I like USA over Mexico. I don't know who's on what team, man. Japan, I know has pretty solid. Japan team. has Shohei. Yeah, they have Shohei, and I believe he's pitching uh, against Japan on Tuesday. Actually, I can check that. Um, but uh, their... my Mexican roots won't allow me to pick against them. Ah, uh, yes, yes, for, I forgot. over Japan. Or, or so Japan over them, but so obviously I want Mexico is going to beat Japan, but I'm American through and through, died in the wool, never ever anything else. I 100% am all in on U.S. beating Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. The score, I believe, I'm going to go a little bit closer, I'm a little tighter. I'm going to say it's five three. Okay, love it. Um. And that, that actually brings up an interesting question I have now that I think about it. Now, we're going to skip one. We're going to skip something that I wrote down because I don't know enough about it. I don't know what the freak's going on, and I'm starting to see people are saying that it's not actually going to happen. That's Trump getting arrested. I don't know if right. Trump's going to get arrested. He claims he was, whatever. I don't have anything to say about that yet. Not a lot has developed since then, so I'm going to skip that one. But I want to go back to this other question I have for you. In fact, so I have a friend who served in Argentina Okay. His mission. He legitimately wanted Arge- – like he said, if it got to the World Cup and Argentina was playing the U.S., I would cheer for Argentina. And I, it all has always pissed me off, and I think that's anti-American. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, 100%. Right? If it came, if it came down between U.S. and whoever, right? Like, of course I'm going to support the U.S. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind. But his if it philosophy. was somebody else, right? But if it, if it was Argentina versus X country, oh, of then course, yeah, yeah. no, I mean that's, that. it's yeah. like my default to Mexico. I served there. I'm Mexican, quarter Mexican, right. whatever. Um, like Fran, I have some French roots too. Like I kind of like that too. That connection, but like, oh, I always root for the Irish and and uh, Scottish, which is so different than what Britain, I'm talking about. But I'm rather root for them. His philosophy was, if it came down to Argentina and U.S. Argentina has a better chance of winning the World Cup. So he was always kind of talking about it in the context of them not meeting in the World Cup, but before the World Cup. And he's like, well, Argentina has a better chance, and I want to see Messi get his, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. That's un-American. Like, I don't and, get and, why and he's saying that they have a better chance. Like, what? So wait, if, it, if it's pool I mean, play, Argentina's classically he's a better saying team. that, Right, yeah, we, we all know that. But what I'm saying is, like, we 
if they're in pool play, he's going to root for Argentina to come out as the number one seed because they have a better chance and they want a better role. Okay. Right. But if they met in the final, but if they met in the final, you're still going to root for Argentina. That's the real test. Who's he cheering for then? And honestly, I'm pretty sure based off of how he was talking about this, he would have cheered for Argentina. And that makes me sick. Yeah, no hard pass on that. I will always root for the U S even, even the women's soccer team, I'll still root for him as much as I don't like to. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right though. It's like what what what's the alternative? Cheering for Canada? Not gonna happen. No, hard pass. Um, That's even worse. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so anyway, maybe I should incorporate that into people we can't be friends with because I kind of don't want to be friends with him after that. But anyway, I don't want to um, do. That. I don't want to be friends with him ever. Yeah, you actually have met him before. But anyway, uh, <laughs> all right. So we're not gonna talk about Trump getting arrested, but I do want to bring up this article because this article. It's a, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one in the sense where the context behind it is this guy is supposedly a member of the church and supposedly cares about the church and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Anyway, there was a poll that came out, and it was a survey of a just a bunch of different groups, mainly religious groups, but not even all religious. I think some of them were just like random. Maybe they were all religious, actually. But And the idea was that... 10,000 Americans... Right. What's that? Ten thousand Americans, because that's where the that's where the article was was how they and then I read how the, they favor, the context. Yeah, how they how they view these groups. How they view, yeah, yeah, and like in fa- terms of favorability, and Mormons, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, were among the last on the list, like the among the, the least favorable. I can't yeah. remember the exact. Uh, like what order it is, but I'm pretty sure Scientologists are favored bo- more than us. The bottom three were atheists, Muslims, and then us. Those were the so bottom we were three. third to last? Or were we last? No, no, those were the bottom three. We were last. We were last, okay. Getting feedback. So this is where it gets interesting. Gordon Monson is a columnist. He's a sports columnist, I guess. Actually, this has nothing to do with sports, so I don't even know what he's doing anymore. But he has like you know, has a sports radio thing and everything. Anyway, he's an, he's a loser, but um, he takes this poll and he says, "Oh, if that's the case, then we better change our ways." And the headline was, "Can the LDS Church fix its unfavorable reputation? It can if it will." And he's so he's looking at it from the side of, "Oh, everybody else must be right about us." Yeah, the, the, the favorability. Is we're doing something wrong, and obviously it's tied to politics because the guy's a liberal douche. But he's like, we must change our ways. Like that's the whole tone of the article. But here's here's something that I loved. This guy responded to it, and he said, just some random dude. The survey shows the Mormons view everyone else favorably. That's their attitude. Good on them. Gordon Monson is blaming them for other people's attitudes. Does he blame Jews for the attitudes of anti-Semites? Which I think is exactly the question you would ask in that situation. It's like, wait a second. So whenever anybody is anti-Semitic, religious, or anti-religious, bigoted, racist, homophobic, whatever, that means those people are automatically right, and whoever they, whatever the problems they have with that group, that group needs to change. How is it that we have this double standard? I think it's fascinating, and it, and it makes you think, like, 
it, this is really like the devil's work on display. Yeah, like hundred percent. What, what we're seeing here is the church is the church, and everybody else hates the church for like they can't do any right. Damned if they do, damned if they don't. We talked about it with the financial stuff yep. and whatnot. But I, I don't know, man. The the outcome here is is that if you're viewing this as if the church is doing something wrong, you're kind of like, oh, well, good, good to know where you stand. Right. It's just, I I don't get why this is even being brought up. It's just, it's so dumb to me. I, I, I don't understand polls. I don't, un, like, it, any type of stats you can make work in your favor. If you want to prove a point, you can grab any type of stat to prove your point. You're like, look There's at this. It's like, that. it's backed by stacks. It's like, it's like, okay, it, that's not how it is. Like, and, and if people view us from the outside looking in a certain way, that's on them. I'm sorry, but I don't have a problem with any other religion. I don't have a problem with, do I think certain people are different for their views? Yeah, but it, I don't care either way. I'm going to worry about what I'm doing and the way, like the way I live my life, the way I respect people, the way, you know, I weigh, I, the way I treat other people, all the, all, you know, the laundry list of things that I want to live my life. Right. And if somebody has a problem with me because of my views religiously, again, that's on them, not on me. By so, all means, you do you, I'm going to do me. If we want to have a uh, friendship and a mutual, you know, respect for each other, then by all means, I'm here for it. And I'll always be here for it. But if you don't want to hang out with me or you want to attack me and my views, then by all means, I, I don't want to be friends with you. I'm going to bring in an analogy from my beloved Seinfeld. I think you'll appreciate this. So there's an I episode. won't because I'm not a Seinfeld guy. <laughs> no, you will. Where Jerry doesn't want to wear a wallet. He's like kind of over it. He's like, you know, it's like this is like it's uncomfortable to sit on everything. And George has such a problem with it. He's like a man, a man carries a wallet. And Jerry responds to him. He says, you know, the mere fact that you oppose this as much as you do makes me think I'm on to something. It's the same thing. The mere fact that people view the church so disfavorably, the mainstream people of the world, makes me think we're on to something. Yeah. Well, we've said it multiple times about why, why are we one of the only religions that have anti-doctrine? That so so I don't actually know that. Do are we really the only one of the only ones? Feels like it. <laughs> I mean, it really feels like it. <laughs> That's because we are there. We're in it, right? But like, I'm sure Jews feel like there's a lot of anti-Jewish doctrine, anti-Semitic literature out there, and there is. Yeah, I would um, agree with that. Uh, Scientologists probably feel the same way. I mean, there was going clear yeah. that that documentary. Uh, Catholics probably feel like they're targeted a ton. Jehovah's Witnesses, okay, I would imagine me... as well. Are we one of the only religions that don't teach that anti-doctrine? That's a good question. Um, because oh. there are other churches and other organizations that teach anti-Mormon literature. Yeah, those are mainly... We, we, we tend belt. to not even bring up other religions in I don't in, think Catholics or Jewish like synagogues... I don't think they really do that. I don't get the sense that Muslims do, which, by the way, there's definitely a ton of anti-Muslim stuff out there as well, but... Um, like Scientologists have zero clue what they teach. No clue. They don't seem like yeah. they teach anti-doctrine, but I do know what you're talking about. There are those churches, especially like in the Bible Belt. I, From what I've heard, 
I don't even know if I want to say the church because it's a little, like, you know, it's like putting them on the spot. But, like, Church of Christ doesn't view us the most favorably. And obviously, mm-hmm. traditionally, like, Baptists and Mormons, like, never really got along, things like that. Right. But honestly, I think I met Baptists when I lived in Texas, and I thought they were awesome, if I remember right. Church yeah. of Christ people, I remember having an experience where, like, as soon as somebody from the Church of Christ found out that I was a member of our church, they kind of, like, shut down. They're kind of like, oh. Yeah. Um, well, we have we have one here in town in particular, and it's just, there's so much just hate coming from them. And it's the church that my aunt was part of that she actually stood up in this you told me meeting. This. It was like, yeah, like, no. Like my my brother and my sister in law are members and their whole family is and they're amazing people and you guys are wrong for teaching this. You guys are supposed to be, you know, a church about, you know, Christ and, and you know, God and loving everybody and you guys are just spewing this hate type thing. She's like, Nah, I'm good. No more than a year later she was converted and yeah. baptized and everything. So yeah. Love that. So good good on her. Good good on them for uh, you know, pushing people to the for church. For real. Yeah, that's true. They're doing they're doing our missionary work for it. Um right. I've had a few run ins with Jehovah's Witnesses. Um mm-hmm. on my mission, actually I had a really interesting one. There was this guy, we were doing divisions, we were on splits, and so my companion actually was confronted um by this American Jehovah's Witness working in Playa del Carmen where we were at the time. And he's like, hey, we want to meet with you guys. Like, let's let's sit down and chat. And so my comp was like, uh, okay. I was senior companion, so he's like, did you want to meet with them when we met back? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we ended up meeting with them. It was a little strange. Um, these two white American dudes, got we got invited to their apartment. And they just came to basically bash our church. But they were pretty nice about it, honestly. Like, I didn't feel threatened. I was like, I don't – I got to a point where I was like, I'm not sure why we're here. Because there's no way we're going to convert these guys. And if we're not converting these guys, we're wasting our time as missionaries. There's, right. there's no purpose for this. So we ended up leaving, and it was just kind of a weird experience. And I thought about it later, and I was like, it's kind of weird that these guys, like, in their 40s and 50s, like, made a point to go after these, like, 20-year-olds of another church to tell them, like, why their church is wrong. And I was like, obviously, these guys are going to be pretty well-versed in their own doctrine, much better than we are in our doctrine at the time. Right. And... I'm just anyway, and they were like, "Well, you know, you guys do your two-year missions very condescendingly." And he's like, "Ours is a lifetime of service," and I'm like, "Oh, really? So like for two years, like for for your whole life, right? For your whole life, you're living with these very rigid rules where you have to get up at a certain time, go to bed at a certain time, and then you're just scouring the streets constantly. Or, or do you have a job outside of this church? And do you have a life? Do you have other hobbies? So you're gonna make that comparison, really? Anyway." It's a little condescending, but okay, but I don't want to end there because I was in a world religions class at BYU, and part of it was they, they said for one of the assignments in the, during the semester is you have to go to another church. You have to go to another congregation. Mm-hmm. So I, I chose Jehovah's Witnesses. I was like, let's see. Let's see what it's like actually going into their building. Went in their building, extremely welcoming, man. Seriously. Really? Like super nice. Like had the books ready for me, like their hymn book. They're like, hey, this is where we're singing from if you want to join in. I think they even shared scriptures with me. A great experience, honestly. And so I I wouldn't – I definitely don't want to disparage Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they've come on my at my door when I lived in Texas, I remember. Uh, they knocked on our door. I invited them in for a second. Once they knew that I was a member of our church, they didn't really want to talk a whole lot after that. But they were very nice still. They were. Um, and I can sympathize with them. 
You know, they're yeah. trying to they're trying to preach their gospel to others. I've literally been in those same shoes. So, um, okay, maybe not literally, but you know what I mean. Anyway, so those are my experiences. The one the one group that I like probably the most though are the one that's the most nebulous to define, which is the non denominational Christians. There's a ton of those in the Bible Belt. So. Mm-hmm. Some of my best friends were part of a non-denominational congregation, and I went to church with them one time, and it was a blast, man. They got their rock band. They're singing. They're, like, all feeling the spirit and everything, like, swaying back and forth. I had to leave at a certain time, and I went to the, the, one, of the one of the girls there that invited me, and as I was going to say goodbye, she was, like, her eyes were closed, and she was, like, swaying back and forth, and I was just like, this is awesome. And I just think like there's 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 layers to this, right? And it yeah. kind of goes back to Elder Oaks's talk, "Good, better, best." It's like these these are good things. These yeah, are good things, 100%. and there are, there are even better things out there. But what is the best? And this is why I stand by my religion. The best is that our gospel has the fullness, and that's that. Yeah. And that's why I love it, and that's why I think everybody should partake of it because it's the most fulfilling form of Christ's gospel. It's not the only one that exists, but it's the most fulfilling. It's the most complete. Yeah. Everybody's born with the light of Christ, right? There's good people everywhere, right? There's good people on both sides. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you were, wow. You were, uh, we're not, you know what? I don't even want to go. I'm there. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to go there. That was probably one of the worst that was so things good right there. he's ever said in his presidency. <laughs> That's too easy right there. Uh, but no, like I, I will never, I will never disparage somebody because of that. Right. Like, again, I, it comes back to you have a problem with me by all means that's on you. Right. I don't care. Right. I'm not going to go out and be like, Oh, those are bad people. Those are, that's a cold. Da, 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 right. And point my finger. Right. I don't care. Like I, I'm happy with the choices I've made. Right. And at the end of the day, if I'm wrong, if we're wrong, I've still lived a good life, and I would hope that my Heavenly Father would love me and welcome me with, with open arms. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And that's, that's the God that I believe in, and that's the God that I want to believe in, and I'm happy for you know, the, the path that I've traveled and you know, the path that I'm continuing to travel. You know, it's as, as up and down and as you know, side to side as it may be, it's, it's still a straight path, and it's, it's leading me back to my Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. So. Well, and that's what's the amazing thing about our doctrine that maybe doesn't get talked enough about. It's like we don't believe that this life is – now, granted, we, it does literally say in, the, in Alma, this is the time to prepare to meet God. Mm-hmm. And I believe that to a degree, obviously, but I don't think it's the only shot we have. I think what that scripture is saying is don't waste time. Right? Don't procrastinate the time, day of your repentance because if you know it, then, then move forward because it would only put you that much farther ahead. It'll, almost, it'll only get you that much more ready. But in yeah. terms of this life being the only shot we have, our doctrine really doesn't teach that. We have the mm-hmm. millennium, right? And the millennium will then grow and we'll, we'll be able to absorb a lot more good people that never had this church, this specific gospel in their lives. And so yeah, kind of kind of cool to see that like we're going to be very welcoming you just you do have to take on certain ideologies sorry and you're not going to change ours it's just not going to happen but you're welcome to take ours like and you will see we will be successful we will zion is a real thing it's going to prevail anyway and it's talked about in all these other religions too right that i mean you have talked about it before it's 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 cool to see the little 
fractions in all these other religions, you're like, oh, well, we, we believe that, right? Yeah. Oh, well, we, we believe that. Oh, well, we believe that, right? It's like little salt, little, you know, little, little sprinkles here and there. And it's just like, yeah, but you combined all that. And like, that's, that's what you get with Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? And it's that's like, right, man. no, that's Perfect. really cool how it all kind of pieces together. And, you know, this is how we view it and, and see it. And, um, but yeah, so, Absolutely. but again, I, at the end of the day, I don't care what other people think. And if they want to get to know members and they want to change their views on it or, you know, just views of, of the members in general, right? But maybe they were wronged by one person, right? That was having a bad day and got short with them and were, you know, come to find out they were a member of the church and, you know, like, oh, well, all those people are rude. Yeah. You know, it's together. like that one, you know, that we've one, all been the one apple. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the one apple, you know, spoils a bunch and that's their view on things. And that's why I don't like polls and I don't like, you know, mm -hmm. these ridiculous stats that they're pulling up and trying to, you know, make our church more wor worldly and, and not, you know, trying to live to a higher standard, you know, living the best of, you know, of our ability. And, you know, so it is what it is. But, it is what it yeah. is. Well, look at us, dude, doing a little gospel talk in the first segment before we get to our guest who... By the way, we'll we'll introduce him a little bit in the uh, near the end here. But before we do, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Before yeah. we do, we're gonna we're before gonna do we it. do, we're gonna be talking about people we can't be friends with, and I've got two, and they're relevant for March Madness. So let's get into it. Let's not waste any time. All right. The first one is a little bit easier to talk about and more relatable. I think most people would agree with this one. Anybody that doesn't cheer for an upset that doesn't have a vested interest in either team. So like obviously when you saw like Princeton take down Arizona or what was mm -hmm. the big one? It was uh Fair Fairly Dickinson. Fairly Dickinson beat Purdue. Versus and that's Purdue. a 16 over 1 seed which has only happened twice. This was the second time, but it happened twice in like 6 or 7 years. Last 5 years. 5 yeah. years. It was 2018 or 17 parity. There's a lot yeah. more parity these Well, days. they were There's talking about this they were talking about this on ESPN. They said with all the new NIL stuff, name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal opening up, right? These smaller schools that are dominating their conferences have a lot better players than what they have had in the past. That's a good point. So they're able to come into these tournaments and be like, no, like anybody can literally beat anybody, which is so cool to think about like the future of these, you know, March Madness tournaments. It's just going to be like, man, are we going to see this more often now because of all this transfer portal and these coaches that are grabbing guys that people want to play for, right? Like Memphis with, with Penny, Penny Hardway, right? Yep. I believe he's Penny's over there. Yeah. Like him grabbing guys and, you know, being, you know, Hey, this is, I, I know what it takes to get to the NBA, right? Like we can grab all these prospects and be able to do this for them. And if they have enough money and enough boosters to be able to bring in these guys and, you know, by all means that it's going to be very interesting, but yeah, I couldn't agree more people that don't want to see an upset. Don't want to see David versus Goliath, you know, beating up I, literally yeah, Goliath. Yeah. The dude is seven, four for Purdue, bro. He's seven, four and he was non-existent, but that's what they talked about too. They were saying that fairly had the, had the quick runaround guys, right? Trying to, you know, put pressure on Purdue. And that's the team that, that beat Purdue. Right. And that's what they struggled with in the Big Ten with uh, Penn State. Penn State did the same thing. A bunch of runarounds, a bunch of bunch of guards, smaller guys. Um, but, yeah, I, I could not agree more. I, 
if you don't want to see an upset, we cannot be friends. Yeah, so bottom line is, if you're not a Purdue fan and you didn't cheer for Fairleigh Dick- mm-hmm. Dickinson, Bruce Dickinson, the Bruce Dickinson, um, <laughs> then I'm, you, we're not friends. Like, that, that's yeah. it. We're not going to be friends. Not good ones, at least. Now, I should probably preface this as well. When I say people we can't be friends with, it's not no holds barred. But let's be honest. There's a level to friendship. What, how high is the ceiling? And so for this one... The ceiling's just a little bit lower than normal, you know. Maybe not even a little; it the, might the, be a lot lower than normal. The ceiling so. is the roof, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> ceiling yeah. is the roof. <laughs> Woo! All right, Mike, um, relax, dude. Go ahead and just, you know, go make some more shoes, dude. <laughs> so here's my other one. Public speaking. Which, by the way, that oh, movie gosh. they're coming out with looks pretty sweet with Ben Ben Affleck yeah, and uh, Matt Damon on Air Jordan. Yeah, talking about the the Nike yeah. thing that does that looks pretty yeah. good. Um, all right. The other one, people that openly talk about not filling out a bracket this year, this year I decided not to fill out a bracket and I'm enjoying it so much more. And it's like, you know what? If that's true, we're not going to be friends. Cause how is that possible that you enjoy this much more? Like otherwise I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even watch half the games that I watch. I don't even know that's if I'd watch a quarter of them. I'd be like, that's I don't, what happened I don't to me last year. I know it's arbitrary, yeah. like my picks are arbitrary, but like whatever. If I make a pick, I'm like, okay, cool, let's see. Let's see if it happens. Yeah. And most of the time it doesn't, obviously. But um, it's – what other – like why are you invested in an eight and nine seed game between like freaking Virginia Commonwealth and Illinois or something like that? Like why else would you watch that game if you didn't make some arbitrary pick that's tied to it? Because otherwise it's like if you're going to tell me that you enjoyed that game more because you didn't make a pick, then I'm sorry. Then we're not – we don't have anything in common. We're not going to be friends. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think the funnest thing – because I didn't fill out a bracket last year, and I didn't watch nearly as many games as I did this year, right? Because now I have the dog in the fight, right? I make a pick dog in the fight it's just more enjoyable to watch all of these games absolutely right you get pissed right and i think that's the other thing right people don't want the upset because if you have say you have say you have a thousand dollars on a bracket right that is substantial money like you know what i mean like somebody has that has a, a substantial amount right all relative right to their you know bank account whatever it is right but those are the people that don't want the upsets Right. Which by all means, yeah, if you have a substantial amount of money, right, you don't want that upset. I get that. Even then, However, most of those people, assuming that it's not like too much money, most of those people could probably even appreciate it when they like zoom out, take a little space afterwards and like that is pretty crazy that a sixteen seat yeah. just beat a one seat. Like even yeah. they can acknowledge that. Right. And I completely agree. But yeah, the dog in the fight thing, it just it makes it for more enjoyable, you know, T V. And I think the same thing with like fantasy football, right? Like I have, I'm I'm more of a fantasy football fan than I am a Cowboys fan now because I just enjoy being the GM of my team. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. <laughs> and, and the NFL, I manage a team. Lot. Yeah, uh, fantasy. <laughs> Not having a team in the NFL, I will say, has made the NFL very enjoyable for me. Yeah, like I love. Just I think matchups. 100. percent But I think the other thing too about them not filling a bracket out and then you know them saying. You know, oh, I love it so much more that it's like, dude, shut up. They're posturing, like, dude. They're lying to themselves. Yeah, and if you lie to yourself, you're, you're not going to be a friend of mine. 
You're lying to yourself. You're lying to God. That's right. That's, right. <laughs> That's freaking right. You don't think God sees right through that? No. Lies. Blasphemy. No, we all know that you actually want Fairly Dickinson to win. You know that. Oh, man. I was rooting for them last night against FAU. I was like, yeah. yo, let's. I was like, let's go. I want to see how far they can go. So Princeton's still in, though. 15 seed, right? Crazy, they got through. Yeah, um, they're Which rolling. Happen, has happened to or no, that a fifteen seed made the never, Sweet Sixteen. Wait, is that right? Don't that quote right. me because I saw no Princeton made it to the Sweet Sixteen. That is right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, Utah women's basketball doing okay. well. They're in the Sweet Sixteen. Oh really? Can okay. we go ahead and give a shout out to the Lady Utes, the Lady Running Utes? No, no, we're good. The Lady Cougars are no on not in it. We know that. All all everybody knows that. Up? Well, you know, we have we have to give respect to to Utah sports. Okay, uh, UNLV women they were they only we had two losses. Don't on. have to do anything. Of we do. Sports. We should. You, you know? can if hey, you want. I'm just saying, man. You know, we have friends of the show, big fans, big youth fans. You know, and you know they they deserve their respect. UNLV women they lost to Michigan. You know. The well, whole state I'm of Michigan sure liberals, go to hell. There's a couple people with liberal leanings that listen to this show too, and we don't really give them shout outs, do we? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh yeah, Creighton and Princeton, sweet sixteen matchup down down south. Uh San Diego State, Alabama, another Mountain West team. Uh FAU, Tennessee, Kansas State, Michigan State. That's actually gonna be an amazing game, I think. Tennessee versus Big, big Ten. by the way. Tennessee yeah. could be big. I think Tennessee's got a got a walk. Uh, depends on who comes out of that Kansas State Michigan State game. Yeah, they are. I think they'll I think they'll beat up on FAU. Uh Miami, the surprise of the Sweet Sixteen for a lot of people because they thought that was going to be a major upset for uh Drake. Um yeah. but their their main guy is playing and playing well. Uh Xavier, Texas. Uh, Arkansas, UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA. Gonzaga, UCLA is actually going to be a rematch from 2021, I believe. And Gonzaga absolutely ransacked them here in Vegas. So rematch of that in the same place that Gonzaga just beat up on. Um, Wait, but did they? UCLA, I that was the yeah. game where they where what's his Suggs hit like that game winning half court shot. Oh no, no, they uh, Gonzaga absolutely just oh, murdered them in, in 21. Because I I was there with uh, my brother and a couple of his buddies. And honestly, I think we left at halftime because it was that bad. Wow. They were getting just absolutely ransacked. But it's same same guys that are kind of there. Um, obviously, Timmy's still there. He's been there since, you know, 1992. Yeah, I, actually, um, I, I actually tend to like Gonzaga's team, by the way. Like, they've got a lot of players that I'm like, I actually kind of like those guys. I really like Mark Few. Timmy is not one of them, never has been. Freaking hate Timmy. There was, there was a quote or a tweet of the night last night on TNT. By the way, can we give a shout out to the the NBA on TNT crew? And oh, yeah. how good are they They're on fantastic. during during Mark Madness? Yeah. Chuck, Kenny, and uh Ernie. Like I'm I'm so upset that Shaq isn't there because Shaq is absolutely phenomenal and I wish that he was there more but Candace Candace Parker, she's I've always been a fan of her. She's absolutely just amazing uh as a you know WNBA player, but also as a commentator. She's awesome. Um but they had a quote they go <laughs> You think TCU's tired of getting beat up by or getting beat by thirty five year olds? Talking about Georgia, um, oh Georgia's quarterback. Oh yeah, uh, what was that guy's name? Whatever his name, is. yeah. But Georgia's yeah. quarterback, and then and then Timmy. Yeah, 
That's funny, dude. It's so good. Uh, yeah, and of course Ernie loved it because Ernie's a huge George Bulldogs fan. Oh, I didn't um, know. Yeah, so it was just – I absolutely love that crew. I'm so happy that TNT and TBS and True TV all have the – they have the call with CBS as well. So, um, But yeah, man, it's uh, – I, I love this type time of year, and it's just – it's been a great tournament. It really has, and I'm, I'm so excited for, the, for this weekend. Um, hopefully – I will. Uh, I'm going to try and get some tickets to the the West games here, Sweet 16s and and the Lead Eight. So hopefully I can, you know, get in there and see these games live. So it'll be it'll be fun to see. Nice, dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and wrap it up here. But uh, we'll have to do like a March Madness general conference thing. Make a bracket for like the Apostle talks. <laughs> <laughs> the first this one. <laughs> President Nelson's always the number one seed. 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Nelson has to be one seed. Okay, he's the one seed overall. Okay, there's no debating that one. Now, so the other, the other number the, one seeds. Well, you give Nelson the bye because there's going to be 15 teams. Teams. <laughs> going to be 15 speakers. Um, that's could, just that's just the 12 apostles. Though. You could have a playing in game with some of the presidency of the 70. Though the problem is we don't know which ones are speaking. Um, yeah, but yeah, you give. But then. You have two one seeds because I think you're gonna have, you're gonna have. Oh shoot! No, never mind. This isn't the no, time to yeah. figure this out. We'll figure no, this we're out. Later. We're, yeah, we're gonna figure out this later. That'll <laughs> we'll be good. That. But Oakdorf's up there, right? Oakdorf's got to be up there. Holland's got to be up there. Agreed. And I think Oaks is probably the other one. Or I think Irene. Christofferson yeah. might be a sleeper, man. You put him as a three seed, he's coming for you. <laughs> I love this. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Oh, stay tuned next week. This yeah. is going to be amazing. I kind of hope I can't the committee wait. puts Christofferson as a three because that'll be my upset pick, maybe. Anyway, oh I like gosh, the betting odds for so him. Good. Anyway, uh, I love it. Little teaser. I, uh, we, we didn't get to it today because um, Jamie Avila, who joins us on today's pod, incredible. I'm not, I cannot overstate this. That was so, his story is awesome. It has to deal with like. Not necessarily gang violence, but it really felt like gang violence. Yeah. Um, the guy almost died. Really crazy stuff. His upbringing was, was nuts with like the crew that he hung with, all while dating uh, the daughter of a fairly you know prominent local <laughs> leader of the church, which is just like so amazing in and of itself. But really cool story. He kind of goes over his, his background. He's in wealth management. So he goes over the SVP SVP stuff, as well as the church finances, which got interesting. He's pretty well versed in all that stuff. And then we get into his own story and that's what the gospel talk segment became. So we're not going to do it just us two, which I thought was awesome that Jamie just had so much to talk about there. But I do want to highlight something that I want to talk about maybe next week, which is anger in the scriptures, which I think is a fascinating topic. So if anybody wants to look into that, Feel free, specifically when it comes to Captain Moroni and how many times it talks about how he, how many times he got angry. If you look yeah. into that, little homework for some of you if you want to get into that because it's fascinating. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope everybody enjoys uh, the conversation we had with with Jamie. Uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. So I'm so excited that uh, he came on and graced us with his uh, his his presence and and story. And it was honestly the couldn't have asked for a better way to uh, start the week with the spiritual, you know, momentum that that he has, and that just he shares and continues to strengthen me uh, as a fellow member um, in my ward and also one of my Sunday school teachers. So I uh, hope everybody enjoys. So true, brother. Appreciate you bringing him on, and thanks for uh, thanks for everything as always. Of course, of course. Well, you have a great week, sir.
You as well. See you. And we are back with a very special guest. Uh, a, he is a managing partner at Cornerstone Wealth Management. He is a scratch golfer. <laughs> oh, I wish. You're giving me too much credit. <laughs> and one of the best Sunday school teachers I could have ever asked for, uh, Mr. Jamie Avila. Thanks for having me, Brian. Welcome, dude. Thanks. No, thanks for coming on, man. I'm pumped about this. So I know your story, and, I, uh, and I'm hoping that everybody else, and I, well, I know your story, and I enjoy it, and I'm hoping that uh, everybody else does as well. So uh, first couple questions we got for you, though, uh, with you being on the wealth management side of things, uh, what do, we, do you want to start with Silicon Valley, or do you want to start with uh, the, the church finances stuff? Oh, hey, wherever. Those are two kind of hot topics right now. So right. And that's why we're going to start. Okay. All right. Let, let's, start, uh, let's start Silicon Valley first. What do, you, what okay. do you got on that for us? Oh, you know, I mean, it's just been a crazy situation. And um, in fact, um, I was just reading last night about how Credit Suisse is now having issues and that they just got purchased by UBS, which really should have been what Silicon Valley um, they could have done that if they had time, but you know, the liquidity issue just hit them within a 36 hour period where they weren't able to do that. But, um, yeah, so for the listeners that are, that are here, um, you know, Silicon Valley, they started out at a bank, they primarily a tech startup and technology companies that would do banking with them. And, mm -hmm. you know, these are companies within the last 12 months that have really gotten hit with the market collapse in the tech sector. Um, I don't know if you guys own, uh, you know, Google, Amazon, any of those tech stocks. They've all kind of been hammered as of late. Um, well, anyway, a lot of these companies that were tech startups, were they were burning through their cash because, you know, their stock was down and they're trying to figure out what their next move was going to be. And that creates liquidity concerns for a bank that primarily is in one sector, which is the tech sector. And so they had a kind of run on money where all these people were coming with their hands out, give me money, give me money. I need to kind of figure out what to do with my business. And as you know, you know, banks, they don't sit on a lot of cash. And, um, and so they started burning that pretty quickly. But the real issue where they found themselves really hurt where it was, you know, when the Fed started raising interest rates, it really negatively affected um, the balance sheet at that bank. And the reason why is because they were holding a lot of short-term marketable securities, um, right. particularly bonds. And when interest rates flew up, the price of the bonds that they were holding, they went down um, significantly. And, and those, were, so, those are government bonds too, right? They are, a yeah. A significant amount, yeah. Yeah, and, and they had some corporate bonds as well. But at the end of the day, you know, they were getting typically 1% to 2% on that money flow. Um, you know, because they could they could borrow at, you know, 0.5% and it was a, a good deal for them. But in that short period of time where the Fed's slamming interest rates up, you know, the the price of those securities dropped 25, 30%. And so if you don't have enough money to give the, the people that are trying to withdraw, you have to make a decision. Where, where am I going to get the money? And so they had to sell those securities at a loss. Um, where most banks, 
they don't have to sell. They can hold them to maturity. And yeah. if you hold those securities to maturity, you can't get hurt because you're going to get back the money that you invested initially. Um, but they were forced to make a decision and it was quick. And when you have $40 billion going out the door within 36 hours um, and you've got Twitter blowing up and everybody's saying the bank's having issues. Right. And primarily the reason why they had that is because um, when they went to sell them, everybody knew that they were selling those securities at a loss. And the loss was close to $2 billion. And so alarms start going off and there's that panic where they're running to the bank, get my money, get my money. And they got caught in a horrible timing um, issue. And that liquidity run really, really was the end of them. Jeez. Wasn't like one of the only things that could have gone wrong with those bonds inflation? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was almost like a perfect storm um, of what could happen to really hurt their assets. Now, most banks of their magnitude, they'll have like CROs, chief risk officers, which are really in charge of making sure that they're not too overexposed or over leveraged in any one security. And they had just got rid of their CRO. They didn't have anybody really at the helm. And, you know, in most cases, banks will bet on the other side, you know, that they'll say, well, look, if this happens, we got to make sure we protect the portfolio. And it was just bad management. They just didn't manage that that portfolio like they should have. And they, they ended up being exposed when interest rates flew up that high. Jeez. Um, and that's... So yeah. this is this is why I brought you on because you just fun fact after fun fact. <laughs> I, I can't. I I don't know enough about that side. Like talking to you, talking to my brother in law about things. Like I'm just like different wavelengths on these things, man. It's just it's so in depth. I just I I greatly appreciate that because now I actually understand kind of well, a lot a lot better. And the issue that they really had too was most banks are kind of diversified in their holdings by depositors. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, they're not tied to one sector like SVPB was. 90% of all deposits there were over 250000 which most banks, 80% or less is under two hundred fifty. So you had a lot of people that had a lot of accounts that were over that FDIC limit. Mm-hmm. And, and so without the federal government stepping in, um, there would be massive losses for all, all of those companies um, that were holding their money there. Jeez. And what is your personal perspective? Do you think the federal government should have stepped in for that? You know, for me, what you're really worried about is contagion, right? You're worried that that fear is now going to bleed over to other banks. And if that same thing happened where there's a run on money, right, other banks will find themselves in the same situation, And I don't think that's healthy as a country. And so as much as I don't like bailouts and I think you should let the market dictate what the market's going to dictate, I think they had to step in. Um, Otherwise, you would see everybody else panicking, rushing to the bank, and some of the same issues would follow other banks in that same fashion. Um, You know, other banks aren't as as exposed like they were, but it would cause a ripple. And so I I think the Fed kind of did what they had to do to stop the bleeding. Gotcha. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're probably going to see more and more banks kind of show up in the future. Um, Like we said earlier, 
with Credit Suisse, which is a European bank. Um, and so, you know, if, if SVP really had enough time, they would have been able to coordinate a merger of a larger bank swallowing up their balance sheet so that they could assume all those issues. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of banks that have the capacity to be able to do that. Um, SVP is a profitable bank. They just got caught in a really horrible liquidity crisis yeah. and, um, and got exposed. So, and, and it's not the first and it won't be, won't be the last. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's systemic. I don't think that, you know, there's, this is going to bleed over to a lot of other banks, especially yeah. with the fed coming in and saying, look, we're going to give banks a lifeline for about a year. We're going to give them a very, very low interest loan so that if there is a run on money, you'll have access to cash to give it to your depositors without having to sell your marketable securities. You know, because that's the issue. If you don't have to sell and you can wait to maturity, you're going to get that money back, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have to sell early at a discount, that's a problem. And so the Fed's coming in saying, look, we're going to give you a kind of a line of credit um, so that you won't face the same issues that Silicon Valley Bank had. Yeah. All right. Um, now I've got to ask you too, cause I, I'm too curious to, to help myself, uh, as a wealth manager, uh, how does crypto fit into your just perception of things? Like, do you, do you think it's a pretty good asset or where, where does it line up? Where does it stack up against the other? You know, so because I have a broker dealer, we're highly regulated when it comes to crypto. It's a speculative investment. If you guys have held, you know, crypto for the last 18 months, it has been a crazy ride where, uh, you know, you felt like it was a party and then all of a sudden you're like left holding the bag going, man, where's all my money going? And it's it's yeah. highly – anytime you get any type of um, new um, currency or new investment strategy in its infancy, you're going to have volatility and massive volatility. And so it's kind of the price of admission of going into crypto. Um, do I think it has a place? Absolutely. I, I think we're going to end up having a digital dollar and I think we're going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes over the next five years um, in our banking system, but um, it's going to be a, a crazy ride like we've seen. Um, and so for, for me, I do have clients that come in and they're like, hey, look, um, instead of having 5% of my portfolio tied to precious metals like gold and silver, I want to go the digital currency route. And there are ETFs that are out there that, you know, I could um, show my clients that um, have a little bit more diversity because they are more of a type of mutual fund that has lots of holdings instead of betting on just one digital currency. And, um, and so at the end of the day, I think it's here to stay. I think it's going to change. There'll be a lot of digital currency companies and coins that are out of business. And the, for the ones that stay... It's going to be um, highly profitable for a lot of people that got in early. Uh, but I can't stress this enough. It is um, not for the faint of heart. It, it is going to be one of those rides where, you know, you question yourself on whether it was the right decision to get on, in on it. Um, and so you just almost have to hold the line and, and wait for it to mature. Yeah, I, uh, the, one, the one way I've looked at it is, if it's still at the stage where you just really have to acknowledge, now granted, stock all stocks are like this to some degree still, but it's at the stage where don't invest anything that you can't bear to lose. 
if you can handle losing it, like if your life livelihood doesn't change, if your lifestyle essentially doesn't change, then go ahead and invest it and hopefully it turns into something. But the idea being that that volatility is like you could lose it pretty much at any given oh, time. So just accept that and move on. Yeah, and, and it's like that's gambling fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, uh, as a financial advisor, I have to make sure that my clients don't overexpose themselves to any one asset class. You know, because I'll have clients, you know, we'll, we'll hit some home runs and have some great investment funds. And they're like, hey, I want to put all my money in it. And I'm like, you know, we don't do that with anything. You know, you have to spread that thing out in different classes because I'll give you a perfect example with my book of business right now. Um, you know, the, the stock market's been very volatile as of the last 18 months. But what's been hitting it great is my real estate investments. You guys kind of know what's been going on in the real estate sector. So a lot of my clients that we diversified into those type of sectors, whether it's multifamily apartments, whether it's storage facilities, anything like that has just killed it. Um, as well as on the safe side, I have some of my clients that are retired and they want to take more of a conservative approach. And on the annuity side, you can't lose. It's guaranteed money. And so at the end of the day, by spreading my clients into those other types of assets, it's really insulated their total portfolio from the market downturns that we've, we've been experiencing. And, um, and so that's, that's been kind of cool to see. It does seem to be like there's a, I wouldn't say it's necessarily inversely correlated, but there is a lot of inverse with crypto and not the rest of the market. Cause when the market goes up, crypto would go up a lot too, but it just like in times like now we're actually seeing Bitcoin go up yeah. when trust and everything else is going down. And that's not really a surprise, which is the funny. Yeah. Thing, yeah. I mean, when, when the, everybody's questioning the banks, you know, digital currency and digital banking seems a little bit more attractive, you know? And so you're, you're probably seeing a lot of people take their money out. I mean, you've seen this where they've taken money out of regional banks and where are they going with it? They're going to the top five banks. They're going to Bank of America. They're going to Citi, JP Morgan, because they feel like those company balance sheets give them a little bit more security than more of a regional style bank. And so that, that you're seeing a lot of that happen right now. Well, yeah. speaking of uh, diversifying in local banks, uh, the SEC and the church settling, obviously the four great transition, oh, man. Yeah. Fantastic. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I've heard a couple podcasts once or twice. Um, <laughs> you've done more co podcasts than you've listened to. <laughs> um, the other thing, uh, we, you know, uh, Church settled with the SEC, $4 million from, uh, what's the bank, Harper? What was the, or um, what was the company? You mean the consultation firm? Yeah. The consultation firm? Enzyme. Uh, oh, oh, that's their, that's their subsidiary. Yeah, yeah. Or wait, was Enzyme Peak the... I think it was Enzyme Peak. The Outsiders? Yes, I believe. Oh, okay. No, no, Enzyme Peak's part of the church, correct? Yeah, yeah, so, so they're the financial wealth manager of the church's portfolio. Right. Okay. And they were the ones that gave the bad advice. Um, to... Well, no, the, the church kind of came out and said that they were, they had their attorneys and their attorneys kind of gave them that advice on how to structure themselves to create the privacy they were looking for. Right. Right. So um, just want to kind of get your opinion on it and you know, what, uh, 
what you're seeing, you know, or what you're thinking from, because you're an investor, because you're, you know, you like to diversify just like we were just talking about. Um, and yeah, just kind of your thoughts on, on the whole situation. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, Enzyme Peak is a company, it's kind of the, the financial arm of the church where they do all their investing. And so they've done that for decades. And so when they first started this in the late 90s, you know, their portfolio was really starting to grow, right? I mean, to, into the billions of dollars. And um, the church didn't necessarily want um, the public to see how much money that they had amassed. Um, they kind of feared that, you know, there'd be consequences um, of people thinking that they had too much money, you know, invested and they weren't using it appropriately. Um, and so they created these shell companies. Um, they were given this advice uh, by their attorneys. And these shell companies split up the portfolio so it did not look like all that money was in one spot. It was kind of held by different managers of different LLCs. And so it was a way that they were able to kind of get away from holding everything in one holding account where people can look at it. And so, um, and that was the advice they were given. And so because they're a wealth uh, management firm of a nonprofit church, once you reach a certain threshold in assets, you have to disclose to the SEC all those assets. Well, the church was disclosing them, but they were just disclosing them in different buckets, right? And right. it was kind of, a, it was a gray area, you know, it was a gray area of um, the SEC and, and the way that they wanted to, um, to have transparency. And so, um, if you read in the in the judgment that that was on there, um, you know there was a couple audits that the church did go through, and they said, "Look, this could be a problem down the road." You know, the SEC um, might not like the way we're doing it, but you know they decided to do it um, for other reasons, and they ended up getting a hefty fine for it. Um, and so I think Enzyme was fined four million dollars, and the church was fined one million dollars. Uh, because they basically are the, um, um, they control Enzyme, you know, the presiding yeah. bishopric as well as the first presidency. Nothing really happens without their approval on that. And so, um, so yeah, it was kind of a little bit of drama going on here recently, amongst other things. And um, it probably wasn't the press that, you know, the church was looking for at the time. <laughs> um, but like anything, you know, they, they paid their fine and they, they, they took care of it. And, you know, I, I think it's a it's a um, uh, the theme here is that um, nobody's perfect. Right. Yeah. Uh, church leaders aren't perfect. Um, you know, they don't. Have, and thank goodness, by the way. What's that? <laughs> he said, yeah. thank goodness, yeah. by the way. You know, and, and like I'm like if if the if if it was uh, required that they be perfect, then I'd be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, all, we would all be right. And I, right. I, I think that's what's great about the church. I think what's great is, is that, you know, I mean, even all the way back to Joseph Smith and um, all the different issues that yeah. he had with forming a bank and that bank failing. I mean, all these things happen and people think, well, how could that happen if they're the prophet or how could that happen if they're the leaders of the church? And the fact is, is that they're men, too. They make mistakes. And yeah. um, just like all of us. And uh, and as a member of the church. Well, you got to be willing to understand that and not hold them to some crazy standard. Yeah. 
Well, well, I mean, what do you think the children of Israel were saying when Moses was like, he's like, why is it taking 40 years? Is this guy a prophet or what? Right. How, how is it? Why is it taking 40 years? And then the prophet says, well, guess what? It's actually on you guys. You guys aren't ready yet. And they're like, well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I want to get to the promised land, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to go. Eh? No, but it's true, though. I think, I'm not going to last 40 years. I think a lot of these things that happen are more of a reflection on the church at large and the people in it than its leaders. I mean, I'm not trying to exonerate our leaders. I think I, I think we probably go a little too far sometimes with how we, I don't know if I want to say glorify leaders, but there is some glorification kind of as part of the culture maybe. And I grew up in a house where we never did that. And, and my parents always gave us kind of a healthy outlook like, listen, you're not always going to agree with your stake presidents or your bishops. Like it's just, it is what it is. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't respect them and can't honor their calling because they do have the keys. So we need to do that. But at the same time, they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes and you just roll with the punches. And that was great advice. And it helped me where I'm at today because it's just like, these are fallible men and thank goodness. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have you guys read that book. Um, it's about Joseph Smith and it's called, uh, rough stone rolling, rough stone rolling. I haven't you know, read it, but it's I on my list. Yet, yeah, yeah. I it mean, on my list. what a great book that really helps you understand that, you know, these leaders that have been called don't walk around with this divine spiritual guidance 24-7, right? Yeah. It comes at moments just like it did for all prophets. And, um, and I think so, every member too as well. Right, like yeah. we have lulls just like everybody else. You Without know, they're they're all they're all men and women. And we're all you know we're all man, right? We're all yeah. we're all created you know in the image of Him, and we we're gonna fail. Without a doubt, and I, so I understand where they were going for with trying to create that privacy around their portfolio. I mean, thirty-two billion dollars—that's a lot of money, yeah. and um, and and they. But here's what's great too: is that the church is a great steward of that money. You know. Yeah. And so you get these different critics that will come and say, well, they should be spending that money on the poor. They should be doing all these things. And, and the church does, you know, wherever there's an issue in the world, it seems like the church is there um, lending a hand. And so they're, they're there. Uh, but I think on the opposite side, um, we know kind of, and the leaders know kind of what may be coming in the future. And they want to make sure that the church is solvent, that the members are okay. And so this whole thing of save for a rainy day, make sure that you're okay, um, the church does that to a T. And so they'll continue to be good stewards. They'll continue to manage this money um, long term. And, um, and while things come up in the church, being able to give assistance as they need to. Um, but the church, you throw in their real estate holdings and everything that they own. I mean, it is a, a very, very um, complex um, structure when it comes to their assets because they own so much. And I think it's a catch 22 as well, right? Because they wanted to diversify so that they didn't have just this lump sum of 32, you know, billion dollars in one thing, right? They wanted to spread it out, right? You're never going to please anybody yeah. with this, you know, grand total of money, right? So at least they, their perspective was, Hey, well, at least we'll, you know, have a little bit over here, right? Multiple buckets, just like you said, right? Which I don't care either way. I'm happy, and me and Harper have talked about it before. We're happy that the church is making money for you know with our tithing and with with our things, right? They're taking care of their first ones on the boots for or first ones on the ground during uh, you know national or uh, disasters, disasters all right? Stuff. All that stuff. 
they're there, right? They're building, they're building temples hand over foot right now. I mean, within the last, what, five, ten years, it's just been, I think it's almost doubled at this point now. I mean, it seems like every time we have a, a general conference, uh, Nelson's announcing another seven or eight, nine that are, you know, in, in the plans for, for going forward. Um, but the one thing, the, the two questions I had uh, for you were, uh, should there be more transparency for members with what, you know, with within regards to what they're doing? And what do we say to members that say that they, that the church was being quote unquote shady and not being honest in all that they do? Yeah. I mean, I, those are good questions. I mean, I, I think transparency you can't go wrong with, with, you know, and I come from an industry where we have to be overly transparent and make sure that people understand the risks and everything that they're doing from an investment standpoint. But yeah, you know, I think it was in the 1950s, the church stopped reporting on their financial assets um, a long time ago, because I'm sure that was their fear. Um, They didn't want to have their financial balance sheet um, every general conference for the members to kind of look at and say, you know, what are you doing with this money? You know, and, you know, people always have an opinion on what should be done, you know, and so right. I think they removed that. But yeah, I, I think, you know, we believe in, in following the laws of the land. I mean, that's part of the articles of faith. And I think that um, the church leadership believes in that. And I think they got themselves in a situation to where they regret some of the decisions that they made based on the information they were given. And I think that going forward, um, there'll be a lot more transparency when it comes to those types of things. Um, and for people that want to be a critic on how the church uses their money, I mean, you, you can't stop that. People are people. Right. And um, they're always going to have an opinion on that. Um, you know, I, growing up, I, I remember um, even when I, had my, when I had a family just starting out, um, typically I would, I, I would stop if there was a homeless person on the side and, and, and give them money. You know, and some some of my friends sometimes would say, well, why, why are you doing that? You know, they're just going to go buy alcohol or they're going to go they're going to go do this and all that. And for me, I, I kind of felt like, look, that's not my decision. I, I can't take away their agency on what they do with that money. All I can do is give. And I think tithing is a lot like that. You know, we're, we're commanded to give a tenth of our income or, or our increase, I should say. And. That tenth, we're not, we don't get to decide how the church uses it or what they do with it. The, the, the principle of it as a member of the church is to keep that commandment and to give and to be able to, to, to do it with a good heart and, and, and not to question how those funds are being spent. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I trust the, the Lord's leaders that, he's, that he has called and I leave it to them to figure out how that money is going to be well spent, whether it's going to be building churches or programs to help people, or whether it's going to be sandbagging for something that might happen 5, 10, 15 years from now to be able to get the church through something very serious. Um, you know, that that's kind of above my pay grade, right? And so, right. you know, the church has profits to kind of um, decide um, how that's going to happen and ultimately what, what God wants with that money. And I, I was actually, actually I was going to say that uh, before too. Like, I, it, it's kind of ironic how the church would be a little bit hypocritical if they weren't 
sitting on this money and prepping like the way that we assume they are because they're the ones saying, hey, guess what? It, things are going to get worse. Like when before Christ comes, like we're going to see a lot of turmoil. We're going to see economic collapse. We're going to see this. We're going to see that. Disasters, all stuff. Oh, by the way, we have no money. Right. Yeah. You're kind of like, wait, what? What have you been doing with our money? Right. <laughs> we have no assets. We have, we have no land as a reserve. We have none of this that we can rely on. It's kind of like, okay, so you were telling us to do this to our, our own personal lives. And while in the meantime, you guys were doing nothing. Great yeah. point. It's like that. That's to me, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it too, is, is the whole tithing thing, right? It's just like, I, I'm doing what I need to do, right? I'm following the commandments. I'm giving the 10th. And if something happens on their end, I, it does, it's not my money at the end of the day, right? It's almost like a Venmo account. I brought this up with Harper earlier. I go, I have money in my Venmo account that just kind of sits there for when I need it to, you know, Venmo somebody or somebody Venmos me back. Right. It's just sitting there. It's almost like free money at this point for me because I just, I forget about it. Right. And the same thing, man, you're talking to a wealth management, (laughs) but it is though, like you say free money. That's a trigger term for these guys. (laughs) It's free money. It's just sitting there. It's gone. It's dead. I forgot about it. Like until I need it, it's there. Right. And that's the way I look at tithing, right? Like I've paid my tithing. I'm good. Like, and after, after a couple of weeks, like you just, you forget about it. It's just like, oh yeah, this is the money I have. And like, I never even saw that other money. It is what it is. So, uh, but no, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we kind of touched on those, uh, those two questions. Um, just because, you know, we want to kind of, we know those questions are being asked. Right. And I'm yeah. glad that we can kind of could kind of, you know, talk about it and, and, you know, voice our opinion. Um, but Next thing, I wanna I wanna do a little deep dive into your story and how you became an amazing, amazing member in uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Um, and don't really know what you want to share, what you you know where you want to go with it, but you know I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit of your backstory and then kind of your testimony on on the church and everything. So I know we've kind of already heard little bits and pieces of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's an amazing, amazing story. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up down in Southern California. Um, I grew up kind of in near, do you guys know where Ranch Cucamonga is? It's kind of at the bottom of the Tome Pass. I I grew up kind of down there. Yeah. Grew up down there, Ontario, that whole area. Um, and it's funny. I remember as a kid in the sixth grade, our teacher came in and we had a Baptist church right next to our elementary school. And she comes and says, hey, um, if they're going to be doing a Bible study and during sixth hour, and if you want to go, you can go over to the church for that last hour. So initially I kind of went thinking I was going to get out of schoolwork and I, you know, I got to get out of class and have some fun. And so anyway, so I went over there and, um, and that kind of really started my introduction to um, organized religion, um, Jesus Christ, all those things. And so I remember um, through that church um, getting my first Bible. And I remember memorizing all the books of the Old and New Testament. And I was really excited. I've got this, my scriptures with my name on it. Um, and, and, and so I, I think from a very young age, I was always, I kind of always was a believer. I always felt like I believed in God. I, I felt like growing up, we were Catholics that attended church maybe once or twice a year. I kind of grew up with a faith in Jesus Christ. This just kind of helped propel it for me. 
Um, and they had, you know, Tuesday night activities for youth at the church. You know, we lived right across the street. So it was just a great outlet for me. Um, and so I did that for probably about a year. But what was interesting is that in, uh, I think I must have been maybe 11 years old, I had this vivid, vivid dream. It was crazy. So I had this dream to where um, it was like a pre-existence in my dream. And in, in my dream, there was a division of people. And there was some that were on the side of Christ and some that weren't on the side of Christ. And I woke up as a kid thinking, whose side am I on? You know, who, whose side am I on? You know, and I ended up taking, I never forgot that dream. And when I ended up taking the missionary discussions when I was um, 19, of course, the missionaries are going over the plan of salvation and they're talking about our pre-earth life, you know, and, and how it was a choice that we made to come here to have a body, to go through this earthly experience, to help become more like our Father in Heaven. So when I'm sitting there listening to this, like I'm going back thinking, holy cow, this is crazy. This is like the answer to my dream that I had when I was like 11 years old of whose side did I choose and and it was just a, a moment in my life where the spirit touched me heavenly and I was like, this is what my whole life has kind of been about preparing me for, um, was to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, join his church, and end up going on a mission. Um, but before that, there was other things that had to happen. And, um, and I've talked to you about this, Brian. Um, when I was about 16 years old, I grew up in kind of a tougher neighborhood, you know, rolled with some pretty tough friends and stuff. And it seemed like we were always getting into trouble. And um, one night we we're at one of my friend's house, just hanging out, having a good time. And we ended up walking over to this place called Edwards, where it seemed like every teenager, you know, in that town would go on a Friday night. You know, we would go all hang out. It was outside of a movie theater, a bowling alley. And Everybody would just park their cars, and it was just a huge meeting area. There was always a couple hundred people there. And so um, as we walked to go find some of our friends, um, one of the buddies that I was with kind of fell behind, and we started to figure out, you know, where's Charlie at? Where's Charlie at? But we turned back around, and he's holding his, his, his mouth because he had just got, got um, um, punched by somebody in, in that he was walking by. So anyway, we go back and figure out what's going on. And, and apparently Charlie had uh, made a comment to somebody, uh, to some girl, and her boyfriend didn't like that. And anyway, so we come to his aid to, to kind of figure things out. And next thing you know, we're kind of encircled about by all of this guy's friends. And so there's about four of us and like 12 of them. And, and so we're like, man, these aren't good odds for us. <laughs> you know, for us. And so out of the corner of my eye, I see my brother and all of his friends. And so I start waving to them like, hey, we need reinforcements, man. We, you know, things are about to go down. And so they all came over. And next thing you know, I mean, it was just a huge brawl. I mean, it was probably 15 on 15. And um, 
It sounds like the outside. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's just swinging. <laughs> You're just kind of like, come yeah. out to play. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm squaring up with this guy in front of this car, and I kind of got him pinned, and I'm, I'm kind of doing doing some damage on top of this car, and I feel somebody hitting me in, in my back. Like I thought maybe his buddy was behind me, kind of just hitting me, trying to get me off of him. And so anyway, I kind of shrug it off. Um, end up walking away from the guy and walking in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, probably 30 seconds later, I'm like, man, like this guy must've hit me really hard because my back is like throbbing right now. Right. And, and so I, I turned to my buddy, Brian, I'm like, Brian, I go, do you check my back? I, you know, it's, it's killing me. He lifts up my shirt, puts his hand there and he says, it's just covered with blood. And so he's kind of freaking out and he's just like, we got to get you to a hospital. We got to, you know, Um, he's just freaking out. And so all of a sudden that panic mode steps in for me and I'm like, what just happened? Like, did I get shot? Did I get, you know, stabbed? And what ended up happening was there was a a group of people on the side that weren't even in the fight that jumped in and just started stabbing people. And I happened to be at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. And I was kind of the first one he started stabbing. Well, he stabbed me about five times in my back one of which came through my chest. So that kind of shows you how big of a knife it was. Um, and so... And you didn't realize this in the moment. You no, didn't see like the, there was actually... No, not at the moment. At the time, I just was freaking out because my friends were freaking out. So finally, you know, they're putting pressure on my back and we're kind of walking around this until I, I can't... I don't have any more um, uh, strength left. And so I've got to lay down. And so... I'm on the ground of the asphalt in front of this movie theater, looking up at the stars while all my friends are around me, putting pressure on my back, trying to, so I don't bleed out, uh, waiting for the helicopter to come to take me to Loma Linda um, for surgery. And so I remember sitting there and looking up at the stars and knowing and feeling like my soul wanted to release and join the stars. It it was an experience that I can't really describe fully unless you kind of feel it, but I knew I was kind of dying. You know, I, I kind of felt that. And so immediately, you know, I start bargaining with God, right? I start, Hey, I promise if you save me, you know, I, my life will change. You know, I, I, I won't make bad decisions. I won't drink alcohol. I won't party. I won't do any of these things that I'm doing right now. And I'll get on the straight and narrow. And so it's interesting, you know, how vulnerable, you know, when your life is literally, you see it flash by and you're like, I'm not ready to leave. You know, this isn't my time. I kind of felt that within myself, like, um, this is too early. This isn't the way that I want to leave this world. Um, and so um, the, the paramedics come and, you know, they end up cutting my shirt and everything. And out of my chest, I can see all the tissue that has been pushed out of my chest from the knife going in my back, coming out my chest. And so they're saying, oh, it looks like a gunshot wound. And I'm like, holy cow, what the, you know, did, did I really get shot? Because at this point, I didn't really know whether it was stabbing or whether somebody shot me. Um, cause the, the melee was just crazy. Uh, but anyway, they loaded me up, airlifted me to Loma Linda and, um, took me into, um, surgery. They, they, um, 
I remember passing out. When you're there, they start putting their fingers in the stab wounds to kind of figure out how deep they are. And I remember just passing out from the pain from that. Um, and I end up waking up the probably two or three days later to a Christian preacher on the TV talking about covenants and promises that you make with God. And I, it, it took me back to a couple of days early and the promises that I had made about, hey, I want to change my life. I want to turn it over to him. And, um, and so that was kind of the beginning of a big change for me. That was when I was 16 years old. Um, you know, like any teenager, I felt like I was on my best behavior for about six months. After that, I kind of got into, you know, more drinking and, and recreational drug use, things like that. And it was amazing because I felt like I had gone through that physical death and I had to go through that spiritual death, which was the drugs and everything that came with it over the next couple of years to help prepare me to hear the gospel. And so, um, you know, it was interesting. Me and a group of, this is years later, maybe two years later, um, we're at a party up at Lake Arrowhead in California. And we're driving down from the mountain. And my friend, you know, we had all been drinking. And um, my friend was, uh, was driving. And we're just like, we're like, hey, look, we, we got to pull off off a corner here and just sober up. You know, we don't need to be in a car driving down a windy road, you know, when we've been drinking. So we pull off and, you know, half of the people in that car were LDS um, that were raised in the church um, that were, you know, making bad choices. But when we pulled off onto the side of the road, it was kind of like an overlook um, of, the, of the city below we got on the subject of life after death. And um, one of my good friends, Chad, um, he said at the time, he said he just started kind of bearing his testimony about the plan of salvation. Now, mind you, I mean, he, he wasn't an active member of the church, but he, he knew the gospel. And he was laying out the plan of salvation like I had never heard before. And all these things about, you know, the preexistence to why why we're here and where we're going. You know, all those three questions that I had kind of thought about my whole life um, all came, kind of started to get answered for me then. And so as, as he's talking about the plan of salvation, I'm hanging on every word, man. I'm like, man, this, I believe this. Like, like this is, this is something that I feel like in my, in my soul that is true. And so, you know, we finally sober up and, and we were driving down. And when we get to his house, you know, I, I start saying, yeah, how do you know all this stuff? You know, like, how, where'd you learn all this stuff? And he starts talking to me about, you know, the Mormon church and um, the things that, that they believe. And I said, I got, I got to know more. You know, I, I got to learn more. And so that's initially when I started my experience with being taught by the missionaries in his home. And it was, it was really a crazy time for me because I had known about the church for years prior to that because I had been dating the state president's daughter in the ranch of Cucamonga State, right? And I had state president long hair, so good. you know, I had long hair, I had earrings, I had tattoos, and this was, 
you know, his worst nightmare, right, is me dating his daughter. <laughs> and, uh, and at the time, I remember thinking, dude, you know, this guy's this guy's a jerk, man. How, how can he judge me? I mean, he doesn't know me, you know, but, you know, he knew that I wasn't right for his daughter. And, and, and in retrospect, I look, having daughters now, I, I'm like, understanding. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, you know, he was right on the money, you know. And, um, and so, so I had always kind of, I hated the church. I, I, I didn't feel like they were accepting. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel any type of love on that front. Um, and so now to be at a point where I'm kind of learning the gospel and kind of the plan of salvation, I'm just like, man, in my heart, I know what you're telling me is true. So I can remember being taught by the missionaries, the discussions. And I remember being so caught up in the spirit that literally your peripheral vision around you is just fades phase, right? And you're only focused on the spirit of the missionary in front of you, teaching you these things. And I said, man, I want to do what you're doing. I want to go on a mission and I want to preach these things that you're, that you're teaching me. And so after I ended up getting um, all the discussions and committing to be baptized, me and my buddy, Chad, you know, now keep in mind, this is kind of the early nineties. It's the grunge, right? So we all had long hair and Red Hot Chili still alive and kicking. Yeah, program, you know, all, that, whole, that whole scene. So um, Chad ends up getting reactivated through this process, um, as well as a slew of our other friends. We cut our hair, we take our earrings out, and that was kind of like our sacrifice, right? Oh, God, that like, you know how like, um, I forget which story in the Book of Mormon where they kind of bury their weapons, you know? And they're no yeah. longer going to uh, fight anymore. Anti-Nephi Yeah. Yeah. And this was kind of it for us. We were like, look, our old life is gone. And, you know, we're going to look forward to this new life in Christ. And so it was a very, very special time um, for me, for my friends, for really the members of that ward in the state, too. Because um, I was the last person in our group of friends that you would think would end up joining the church and then serving a mission. Um, and I can tell you that the, one of the most humbling experiences that I had and the state president had was him laying his hands on my head to set me apart as a missionary. I mean, was that same state president, your girlfriend's dad? Yeah. So you can imagine the mind melt (laughs) going through this of, you know, he had certain feelings about me and, and now He's setting me apart as, you know, part of the Lord's army to go out and preach the gospel. It was a very, very humbling because, you know, that journey for me, although it started when I, you know, basically at that dream of 11 years old, um, but he had seen my progression during that time of dating his daughter all the way to the time of joining the church and, um, and then eventually serving mission. Um, but I count, you know, my blessings every day. I kind of, and I tell my kids every day and they kind of get sick of me probably saying this, but, um, you know, I feel like my life was at a fork in the road and I knew that other road because I had an older brother on where that road was going to lead me, lead me. And when the church came into my life, I felt like this was my moment 
to take that other road. And it's been life-changing for me. Um, you know, I look at all the great blessings that I've been blessed with by that one decision. You know, in the New Testament, it talks about he who forsakes houses and family and money for my sake shall receive 100-fold. I feel like my whole life has been like that. I feel like ever since I have dropped my nets, right, like the disciples, and, and, and stopped everything and followed him, that um, my, left, my life has been richly blessed. I mean, I, I was able to meet my wife um, a year after moving to Las Vegas after my mission. I met her at a, a, a local church singles ward. Um, you know, we were married in the temple. We have four wonderful kids. And now one of the great um, things that I get to witness is now my son being on a mission. And that legacy of faith that I have always wanted to transfer to my children I get to witness that and I get to watch it. I get to see my son grow into a man and he's serving other people, which I couldn't ask for anything better. Um, when you go on a mission and you drop everything for two years, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the other people that you're there to serve. And to watch him have all these great experiences and to kind of relive it for my mission. Um, watching my older daughter who's in college um, and all my children just being so close, um, not only as a family, but um, um, they have strong testimonies. I, I, I feel like I'm the richest man in the world. And... Um, and so I, I count my blessings every day. Um, I thank him. I kind of I feel like it's that parable of leaving the 99 to find the one. And I feel like he found me, brought me back to the fold and left every decision after that up to me. And fortunately, with some of the, the way that I grew up, watching a lot of people make bad decisions, um, my brother was incarcerated for five to six years um, for drug issues and uh, manufacturing, I mean, all, all this stuff. Um, I knew that that wasn't the life for me. And, um, and so uh, I'm grateful. And, um, and I'm grateful to, to be able to have a testimony, especially at a time um, in our life right now where the world just seems to uh, get worse and worse. And we need more faith. Um, we need more um, people like Brian and Harper 
that, that can kind of go out and get the message out about what life is really about, you know, because all these things that we go through life, it's a part of it. It's part of the experience, um, but it is not our purpose. You know, our purpose um, is to not only find the gospel of Jesus Christ in our heart, but to, to live it. And it's not easy, right? Because we, we, we talked about this earlier. We, we're all human. We all make mistakes. It's all a struggle. And, I, you know, right now I teach Sunday school to my daughter and the 14, 15-year-olds. And, you know, we just had this discussion where, um, you know, the church, I think Jeffrey R. Holland said it best. He said, the church isn't for perfect people. It's for the spiritually sick. It's for the people to come to recommit themselves to the gospel every single week. And so nobody should feel like they're too imperfect to step within those walls because those walls were created for imperfect people to come and to, and to get that spiritual nourishment they need so that they can recommit every single week. And, um, and so yeah. it, it's, I love this church and I have a testimony of it. And, um, and I can never, after going through kind of what I've gone through, I can never leave the church ever. Um, I would lose a part of myself and my soul. And uh, that's just not something that I'd ever be willing to leave. That's so well stated. <laughs> it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean, losing a part of yourself. Yeah. I love that. Well, that, that we go back to the uh, Matthew uh, 12 uh, or Luke 11, whichever one it was, it was denying the Holy Ghost, right? Like that's, you, you can't deny the Holy Ghost. You can deny Christ all you want, but you cannot deny the Holy Ghost because of the experiences that you had. Like, just like you yeah, said, you're cutting point. yourself out, right? And it's just like, you, you can't deny that. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Jamie, I absolutely love your story. I'm so grateful for you being here and sharing that. Uh, it was phenomenal. And shout out to Jace being out in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, serving uh, the wonderful people out there. And uh, so, so good, Jamie. I love you so much, man. I appreciate everything that you do for me and my family. Um, you're such an example to, to you know, everybody in, in the ward and, you know, nothing but love for you and the entire Avila, Avila clan. I like to call you guys. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I gotta say, I gotta say, Jamie, as you were sharing your story, um, for one, I was getting emotional hearing it too. It was, it's an absolutely beautiful story. The fact that here you are as a teenager dying in some random parking lot in Southern California, going from that to not just serving your own mission, but raising kids. And one of these kids right now is currently on him. I mean, that's you. You talk about that spiritual legacy. I mean that. You were you were on the brink of not having any of that, and what a what a beautiful story and truly nothing short of a miracle. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking this is why the, our podcast exists. Stories like this is like this. This feels so fulfilling for me on a personal level, and I think I can speak for Brian here as well. These are the stories we want people to hear. Like these stories are so incredible, and they're not just worth sharing, they need to be shared. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing that, getting vulnerable with us, because it's, it's a beautiful thing. That's what it is. Being a part of the gospel is vulnerable. It just is what it yeah. is. But yeah. Thanks. So but you guys have a great, great platform, and, um, you know, keep doing what you do, and um, I appreciate you 
giving me just a, a little bit of time of to course, tell man. my story. Of course, you're always welcome. On any way. You're always welcome on here. And plus, we we can uh, we can always cut. Hey, we got to have you back on, anyways. We got to talk some more uh, sports and things like that because I know it's uh, I know that's oh, always yeah. up our alley. I like the uh, bar stool approach. Uh, pardon my take, where they say anytime any guest comes on, they're officially a recurring guest. Perfect. I like kind of taking that on too. <laughs> you're a recurring guest. Uh, well, you know I love talking sports. So love it. So. Well, I'll bring you on I, back I, for sure. I appreciate Jamie. Uh, I know we we got we got to run, um, but like I said, I appreciate everything that you do, and I'm so happy you got to come on and uh, share your wonderful, wonderful story. So thanks, man. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for checking in, everyone. If you liked what you heard today, I ask super quickly if you could just follow or subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating, give it a review, tell your friends about it. All of that stuff helps me quite a bit. Watching the growth has been super humbling and motivating to keep going, and I could not possibly appreciate all of you more. Sitting on my table, I'm watching As everything's changing my mind Goes to a different time Old love I remember falling so madly There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night Cause I could almost see it Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time